such a dramatic entrance. I love it. Uh, my name's Lindsay. If we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at the Foundry. We're so glad that you're with us today. Uh, today is the first Sunday of Lent, uh, which I didn't grow up um, with the practice of Lent. So this is something that's new to you. You're in, t- you're in great company. Uh, it's something we've been doing here at the Foundry is joining kind of the global church in practicing Lent. Um, Lent is is the 40 days leading up to Easter. Like I said, churches all over the world participate in this tradition by reading scripture and praying and fasting and looking inward so that we remember um, our need for redemption. We do that not to be masochistic or to shape, put shame on ourselves, um, but as a way to remember why Jesus had to come and die in the first place. It's the juxtaposition of the bitterness with the sweet Um, that gives us the full picture and the beauty of the resurrection and why we celebrate. This year for Lent at the Foundry, we're going to be studying the book of Numbers together. Is anybody, is, Numbers is not like a blockbuster book of the Bible. Um, Is that anybody's favorite book of the Bible? Okay, nope. Um, Has anybody read Numbers recently? No, cool. There's one person first hour, so it's good. We're all in the same boat. Like I said, it's not one of like the big blockbuster books, but it has so much great stuff for us. I'm really excited to be digging into it for Lent, for Lent this year. So since most of us are looking at this for the first time or for the first time in a long time, let's start with a little bit of context. So Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. It was written by Moses, and it's named Numbers because it contains two different censuses where God's people were numbered, hence the name. Um, The traditional Hebrew Bible calls it by a different name, though, which I think for what we're going to talk through this season is a little more fitting. They called it In the Wilderness because this book follows God's people as they wander in the desert for 40 years as they head for the promised land. So you could say this is their desert era, or um, as we're going to call it, the desert days for these people. So most of us aren't going to find ourselves wandering in literal deserts anytime soon, especially here in Maryland, because we don't have them here. Um, But at some point, or likely multiple points in your life, you're going to find yourself in a spiritual desert where we end up wandering in metaphorical, desolate, and dangerous places. Maybe some of you find yourself there now, or you're just coming out of it. There's all different reasons why we end up in the desert. Uh, Maybe it's because of a scary diagnosis, or something big that's happened in your life, or there's transition, or just life in general. For the people of of the book of Numbers, they're in the desert after the exodus. They've left Egypt. God saved them from their captivity in Egypt into the freedom on the other side of the Red Sea, the whole parting of the Red Sea, big epic adventure. Then they spend a year in Sinai establishing what their new life is going to look like. God gives them the Ten Commandments there. He tells them how they're going to interact with him and how they're supposed to interact with each other. He tells them how they're supposed to deal with their sin. He tells them different roles and responsibilities different groups of people need to have. He also gives them um, a layout of what their camp should look like with all the different tribes uh, surrounding a central tabernacle, which is like a mobile church in a tent, um, which is kind of cool. In the tabernacle is where the Ark of the Covenant was to live, and God's presence would reside there with them. So God was in the center of their camp, 
living amongst them. He also made it really clear how they were supposed to move about the desert. He put this giant pillar of cloud on top of the tabernacle and as a symbol of his presence. And the deal was, if it sits, you sit. If it moves, you follow. Like, that's so easy, right? Like, I kind of wish that was the way it worked for us, that there was just some, like, big neon sign that was like, Lindsay, go this way, and you're going to be right where God wants you to be. That sounds like it would be so much easier than trying to figure it out. But that's not how it works, unfortunately. Um, but something that seems so easy um, is something that obviously these people are going to mess up. So the book of Number begins when this honeymoon period out of Egypt ends. They've been celebrating their freedom and establishing what their new community looks like. And it's time to begin heading to the promised land. But in their desert days, God's not only taking them on a physical journey to the promised land, he's taking them on a spiritual journey to make them into his promised people. I mean, if you think about it, if this had been a plane ride instead of a 40-year walk through the desert, they probably would have taken a lot of what they knew from Egypt with them. I mean, we're creatures of habit, and we like to stay with the familiars. They probably would have brought in, brought, in, they would have brought um, festivals and traditions and food and celebrations and all of the things from Egypt. Maybe even the gods that they had in Egypt would have come with them. But God didn't want a new Egypt. He wanted a new creation. And to do that, he put them in a place where they were going to be uncomfortable and they'd have to rely on him to survive. The same is true in our desert days. These aren't seasons that we usually choose. Um, they're usually seasons that God uses us to become more like him, though. God is changing us into becoming his promised people, and a lot of times that happens in the desert. So we're going to look at Numbers 10. That's where we're going to start our journey. And here, the cloud of the present starts to move, and it says, So they set out from the mountain of the Lord. They traveled for three days. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during those three days to find a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. So this all sounds great. It's an epic three-day journey so far. Love it. I love a good road trip. Then we get to chapter 11. In chapter 11, the first verse, it says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. So, three days into their journey, they made it three days before they start to complain. Uh, it doesn't really fully say what they were complaining about, other than that it was hard, right? This is kind of equivalent to the kids in the back of the van going, are we there yet? Like an hour into the long drive. Um, three days is all they made it before they start to complain and wonder what God is doing with them. I wish I could say that I would be so much better at deserting than they were. I mean, I could make it at least a week uh, before I complained. But that's just not true. Um, when I find myself in the desert, I often find myself just asking for little bits of relief for this hard thing to be over. Um, I dig my heels in and talk about how much this sucks. Um, but none of us want to be here. None of us choose that difficult path. When God leads us into the desert, it exposes a lot of fears that we have. The first one is the fear of the uncomfortable. We start to ask questions like, is God good? Is he leading me towards a life of burden and pain? In his book, Leadership Pain, Samuel Chand says, pain is a part of progress. 
Anything that grows experiences some pain. If I avoid all pain, I'm avoiding growth. And if we were to look back at our largest seasons of growth in our life, they probably came from these places of pain. Thankfully, I found that in these seasons, the pain that comes in them isn't usually stuff that's meant to kill or to wound us, but it's God acting like a sculptor, slowly chipping away little bits and pieces and creating us into his masterpiece. Following Jesus isn't easy. He told us it wasn't going to be. I wish it was, but in a fallen world, surviving the desert requires us to keep following Jesus and looking for him even when things get hard. In Numbers, they had the physical manifestation of God in the form of the cloud that was with them. We don't have that physical guide point to look at, but instead we have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside of us that acts as a tracking beacon for where God is and how he's moving. Sometimes that, that signal is really loud and undeniable, like God is right in front of us. Sometimes because of noise or distraction or distance that we've created, that signal gets really hard to hear. But we're in these seasons of the desert. We have to remember the signal never disappears, that God is with us no matter what. We have to trust that he's still with us. Our story doesn't end there. Right after this set of complaining, there's another complaint. So Numbers 11, 4 through 6, it says, The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. This time, they, they start to complain about what it is they have to eat. For the last year, though, God has been providing this thing called manna for them, which is a cracker-like substance that falls from the sky every morning. It meets all of their nutritional needs and it comes in like the perfect amounts that they need. So God is literally raining food down on them, yet they go, but we had really good stuff back there that we don't have here. Why don't we have that stuff anymore? They remember what they had and they wish, they start to wonder if it was better if they stayed. Another fear that the desert exposes is our fear of missing out. We start to ask questions like, is following God worth it? Is God holding out on me? Or would the, is the grass greener back where I used to be? But the truth is all of these foods and delicacies they were craving came with a price. In order to get these things, they'd have to go back to Egypt, back to captivity, and back to oppression. But God rescued them so they'd have freedom. He would make them his people. and He was creating a home for them, a home that's often referred to as a, a land flowing of milk and honey. God wants to give them great things if they just make it through the desert. They question him based on meat and cucumbers and onions and leeks and garlic. And don't get me wrong, onions and garlic are two of my favorite food groups. Um, but they can only bring temporary enjoyment. A meal only lasts for so long. After a few hours, we get hungry again. But Jesus gives us a satisfaction that lasts forever. And like Paul calls it, the life that is truly life. In the same way, Jesus has rescued us from our captivity, from our sin. He's given us freedom. It's creating an eternal home for us. But a lot of times we end up looking at our old life and go, 
is it really worth it to follow Jesus? Am I missing out? Is the grass greener back there? Would I have more fun if I just did these things? But surviving the desert requires us to die to our former self and remember that God's ways are better and more satisfying than our ways. In reality, if, if we think the grass is greener back there, that grass is full of death and is just spray-painted to look pretty. But God wants to give us everlasting satisfaction in him. We have one more complaint in this section because it wouldn't be, it needs to be a trilogy. So this time, it starts with Moses' own brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron. Um, at this time, um, they were leaders of the camp. Um, they didn't, they ended up, there was a decision that Moses made that they didn't like. So they start to question whether what Moses was saying was what, was, what God was saying and ultimately questioning his authority. So in Numbers 12, 2, they say to each other, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked, hasn't he also spoken through us? So in this time, God didn't just interact with everybody. He, Moses was his one person. He spoke face to face with Moses and Moses was to disseminate God's words to, to the camp. He then added in some leaders and started to talk over them, but not in the same way that he talked with Moses. Moses was that one-on-one -on -one close thing, um, and the leaders were the next level. So when Moses makes this decision that, Mo that Miriam and Aaron um, don't like, they start to question, we've heard from God too, and we don't think that God would say that. But what they're ultimately questioning is Moses' authority as well as God's authority. So the last fear that the desert exposes is the fear of not being in control. We ask questions like, is God safe? Can he be trusted? Does God really know what he's doing here? It's super reductionist, but it's kind of like saying, do I trust the God of the universe to lead me more than I trust the me who still accidentally goes the wrong way on one-way streets every once in a while. Like, I can't be trusted to drive in Baltimore traffic sometimes. Why would I trust me with, with my life plans? But that's a lot easier said than done. There's been so many times in my life that I've found myself trying to do things on my own or in my own way. I love being in control. I like knowing um, what's happening. I like having all of the information. And I, like, I feel like I'm confident enough to be able to do things on my own, which sounds great. But God is a better planner of my life than I am. And that's really hard for me to say. Uh, so I'm going to say it one more time just so it like, makes it from here to here. Uh, God is a better planner of my life than I am. It's really hard for me to surrender, especially when things don't go the way that they're supposed to. I often think about what the world would look like if I were in charge of creating the world, which I get sounds a little pompous. Um, but I think about that sometimes, and I, I'm like, if I were creating everything from scratch, it would look like a toddler's drawing, like the kind where you're like, what is that little scribble in the corner? And they're like, it's a dinosaur. And you're like, sure it is, buddy. It looks great. That's the, the kind of thing that I have the capability of creating. But God has so much more complexity and depth and knowledge than we do. God is bigger than me. He knows more than me. And if I submit to his leadership, he'll lead me to places that I never could imagine. It's kind of like God saying, like, hey, let's go get Italian food. 
in God's thinking, like, we're going to go to Italy and have lunch with, like, the most precious Italian grandma who makes the best food in the world. And we're like, Italian, yes, Olive Garden. Don't get me wrong, I love Olive Garden, but God wants more for us than the Olive Garden. Surviving the desert requires us to get out of the driver's seat and to trust in God's leadership in our lives. God's plans aren't always going to line up with ours. Our timetables aren't always going to line up with God's. But following Jesus is worth it because it leads us closer to him. It helps us to become his promised people. And there's no other place to be than that. Jesus isn't just taking us to the promised land. He's making us into his promised people. If you're in the desert, keep trusting God. Keep pursuing holiness and keep God in front of you. I know those aren't the most deep theological thoughts, but when we're in these seasons of dry desert places, sometimes that all we need is the basics to remember. Keep following God, keep trusting him, keep pursuing holiness, and he'll take you where you need to be. We're going to turn to a time of communion, and I am so thankful that we get to do this every week, that we get a reminder of what it is that Jesus did for us, that we get to take juice and, and a cracker to remember his body and his blood. But I also like it as a chance for us to reorient our lives under God's leadership every week, to, to say that he's the cloud we want to follow, even if that means we go into the desert. So there's four stations around the room, in the front and the back. All of them are gluten-free. Uh, before we head to those stations, I want to pray a psalm over us, the words of David from Psalm 63, um, just as a hope for our hearts this week. So if you pray with me. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'll be satisfied as with the, ri the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you're my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Amen.